0: Welcome to Succession Stories, Insights for Next Generation Entrepreneurs. I'm Lori Barkman. I've spent my career bringing an entrepreneurial approach to mature companies struggling with change. As an outside executive of a third-generation, 120-year-old company, I was part of a long-term succession plan. Now I work with entrepreneurs, privately held companies, and family businesses to develop innovations that create enterprise value and transition plans to achieve their long-term goals. On this podcast, listen in while I talk with entrepreneurs who are driving innovation and culture change. I speak with owners who successfully transition their company and others who experience disappointment along the way. Guests also include experts in multi-generational businesses and entrepreneurship. If you are a next generation entrepreneur looking for inspiration to grow and thrive, or an owner who can't figure out the best way to transition their closely held company, this podcast is for you. Subscribe to our newsletter for more resources to build value in your business. Visit small.big.com. That's small dot big.com and sign up today. This week I'm joined by Julianne Sullivan, an international best selling author, speaker, and business culture expert. What's the big why around company culture? First, it's dollars. Morale and attitudes affect employee productivity, which can negatively affect your customer service, quality, reputation, and ultimately your profits. The other why is related to succession. You need a good culture for your company to thrive without you one day. Listen in for actionable ideas for creating a positive and productive culture in your business. I am so excited today to speak with Julianne Sullivan. She's a catalyst of culture, and it's an amazing thing to talk about culture because it's hard to put your finger on it. So Julianne, I'm really glad to have you on today because I think especially now as companies are really going through a lot of changes to talk about the topic of culture. So welcome to Succession Stories. Oh, thank you so
1: much, Lori. I'm really excited to be here today as well.
0: Why don't we start by talking about you and your background? Because you didn't start out as a catalyst of culture.
1: You started out as a CPA, right? Well, actually, before that, I had a degree. My undergraduate degree is in psychology. And I was interested in developmental psychology and made a pact with myself right after I graduated with my BA to learn about human behavior every day, deliberately in some way, which I have continued. Then I ran away to a ski resort for seven years. Then when I came down off that mountain, I got my MBA in accounting and was an accountant for decades and um, in many, many different roles. And then I didn't want to learn any more about it. So I quit and I thought about the unique perspective I had between You know, understanding how functionally a business works and how well I understood human beings. And at the same time, life would have it. This new phrase came out called employee engagement. So it was a perfect path for me to follow.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's an interesting path when you talk about paths and mountains, being running <laughs> running a ski resort and doing all these different things and finally finding this path to employee engagement. Psychology is an interesting also beginning for you. I've always thought about the psychology of business. It's what I studied undergrad. And my undergrad was what I called the psychology of business, which human resource management. And mm-hmm. my major was a major that put us into either labor relations, law, or human resource management. And so for me and working in that field, employee engagement was just part of what we did. And I've inherently, since the beginning of my career, understood the value of having people engaged in their workplace. But there might be people wondering, what's the big why? Why does company culture matter? Why does employee engagement matter?
1: Well, it only matters if A, you wanna hire really good talent B, if you want to retain that talent. C, if you want a workforce that can be flexible and creative. And D, if you want to have a bigger profit. Yeah, I think that all of those things matter, right? Exactly. And in the last 10 years, companies are starting to realize that having a happy, fulfilled team member is better for every part of your business. And I have to mention, Lori. right now a lot of people are shying away from caring about culture, but as we get through this, and I won't say things are gonna go back to normal because they're gonna be different, but the talent pool, which has been shrinking for years, is gonna shrink even more If you think about the fact that one of the few areas that have increased through this pandemic is people starting their own businesses. And, you know, I used to say 10 years ago, there was no degree in entrepreneurship. Now you can go to school and get a degree in entrepreneurship. People have experienced running their own businesses so, talent is going to be even scarcer than it was before. And you're dealing with people who are going to say, I don't work, want to work somewhere where people don't care about me. And culture is a way to show your workforce that you care.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there's a way to quantify everything you just talked about. You can quantify the cost of retention problems. You oh, can yeah. quantify the challenge of filling jobs in a timely fashion. You can quantify the productivity. T- you know, productivity. And I think the number I th- might've found on your website is it's a staggering 50 number. $50 billion uh, annual basis. It's, it's a big, big number. If you don't address it, not to mention lawsuits, if you really want to go on the other side of
1: the coin, which Correct, is- Correct, because- you know, Yeah. Engagement and culture also affects, you know, I I named four of them, but there's a lot, but it also affects uh, safety and quality in a workplace. Absolutely. And how you treat each other matters. Let's
0: face it. People want to know that you care about them and culture is a big part of that. So let's talk about purpose. I think that for a lot of companies, it starts there. They need to define what their purpose as a company is, why do they exist? What do they do? In your experience, how would you tie together purpose and how does it
1: influence a company's culture? Well, I'm not sure which comes first, the chicken or the egg, you know, but there's a twofold purpose that I think it's the responsibility of leadership for every team member to know. Simon Sinek talks about the big why, and this is tied into that. There is a purpose of what you do every day. You know, what is it that you do? I make calls. I fill out forms. I create graphics, whatever your job is. But there is a greater purpose for what the company does. I'll just give you one example. If you're a real estate agent, you sell homes. That's what you do. But you're creating future dreams and memories for people. That's the bigger purpose of what you do. And when people know what that is, and there's many ways to do that in, a, in an organization, but when people do that, they have a different mindset about how they're doing their work. And so that's where purpose really comes in. And repetition and conversation communication on a regular basis about what that overall purpose is, changes the culture of a workplace. So let's talk about culture.
0: How does a company understand what the attributes of their culture is? How do they even know how people describe them? How do they measure that?
1: I always say, if you haven't deliberately done work to create a culture, then there's a culture already that's been created for you. And the best way to do that is ask, talk, take a survey, have a consultant come in and find out for you. Find out what your workforce thinks and what they would like. I'd say the biggest part of my work is making a plan because culture's so big and like any kind of challenge when it's really big it makes people freeze and do nothing one of my best attributes is being able to cut everything down into bite-size pieces right create a plan with this small step then this small step then this small step giving people a direction to continually move forward. I I think that's the toughest piece. And then for people who have been working on their culture already, sometimes they need fresh eyes, fresh first perspectives to help them see something new. And sometimes that comes from their workforce.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you that sort of leads me to this next question. What would be some of those reasons that a company has brought you in? Is it because they're having a problem with their culture or because they see a need for change? Or maybe they're, like you said, their employees are, there's something that's come up where employees are calling out a problem.
1: One is being able to hire good talent. Why isn't good talent coming our way? I had a company that I dealt with. And they were having that problem. And basically, I said, you have old, all middle-aged white men on your website, and yet you have women who are in, you know, uh, leadership positions, and you're not showing that on your website. And you're not showing any diversity, even though you have diversity in your company. If I am a young adult now going to look and I see that, I'm not even going to apply. So that's just one small example. They may be having problems getting good talent. They may have a high turnover rate. It can't always be everybody else, right? It can't always be a generational problem, right? Right. Um, So that may be a reason. Or they may have had a change in leadership or an awakening by leadership that says, We need to work on this. We can't just have this be willy nilly. We need to bring everyone in and create our own tribe, our own family, our own community that is our brand. Because the interesting aspect of culture is it is your brand. It's what people say. At the local bar, at a restaurant, when we can get back there, right? It's what people say to one another about your business. That's your brand. And that very much so comes from inside your culture. That's right. Because
0: a lot of people, if they enjoy working there, they're going to tell everybody how much they enjoy working there. They're going to foster referrals to jobs that are open. And business. and business, they're going to drive customers there. I felt that way very strongly about a company I used to work for. I used to wear their clothing. I used to tell everybody how proud I was, how much I love the environment there. That's a multiplier effect if all a lot of Absolutely. other employees feel that way. Absolutely. And so for you, you've worked with a lot of different organizations from global multinational corporations to smaller organizations. And as you reflect on any of those clients which organization has most impressed you by the changes that
1: they've made to their culture from a before and after story? I I think I would have to say the Dwyer group, which is now a part of Neighborly. And they had this way, they decided to come up with a set of values And at every meeting where they had three or more people, they would recite them or discuss one. So think about that. Every meeting with three or more people. And it took about a minute. This wasn't a long discussion or anything like that. They actually used to give out gift cards and T-shirts for people who could recite them with heart, is what they said. Now, their revenue, when they started this program, their revenue doubled in two years. So that's the best example I can come up with. Was it because example. of that? I don't know, but did it have something to do with it? I would think so. I would think so too. How did the leadership
0: emulate the values that they espouse in that particular company?
1: You know, it's really great because Mary used to say one of the values that she had a more difficult time doing well was getting packed to people in a timely manner. And they had such a unique culture that people could basically come up to her, right? She was a I think the COO at the time and bust her for it. And she'd take it. And she'd take it, right? So that in itself is an amazing culture, right? Yeah, to have the people, courage to so, go to an executive and say, right? Hey, you're not living the values living here, up, lady. Yeah, XYZ. <laughs> so they emulated it by doing it. And of course. If you don't have buy-in from the C-suite and you're just, it's the same thing. You can't ask people to do something. You're not willing to do yourself. Right. People see through that. More and more. You know, the days of just come in and do your job are over. And the idea of leaving your personal life at home, which nobody ever did anyway, are over. You're dealing with a whole human being in your workforce You're not dealing with somebody who's just doing what you want them to do. Now, are there companies out there still? Absolutely. Well, I mean, for you, even
0: you and I, for this podcast, I know the name of your dog is Joy, and she brings you joy
1: every day. <laughs> Everybody knows Joy. In fact, around my neighborhood, it was you know they go by Joy, and it's like, hey, I'm here too.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: they know her more than they
0: know you. Oh, well, you had mentioned that you know being authentic and and having people in this story you shared, people calling out the COO for her behaviors. That's an important aspect. What are some other behaviors? In particularly now, you know what are important behaviors for leaders now at this time, which is still very much in the heart of the pandemic, where a lot of companies are still remote, what
1: can leaders do to emulate behaviors for success? I go back to the four attributes I found in common with the many dozens of C-suite leaders that I interviewed um, for my own podcast over the past several years. And number one on the list to me, because I'm a communications freak, uh, was the ability to really listen. And people either know how to do that or they don't. They've never been taught how to. So many times when I do communication work, it is on listening, how to really listen. And then once you have that ability, coupled with the ability to be open to new ideas, will catapult any business, as opposed to C-suite leadership that believes they have all the answers, right? That's very short-sighted. And and right, a lot of times in the C-suite, they are not actually doing X, Y, Z. So the people who are actually doing XYZ, whatever those processes are, know better. They may not have the total answer. They may have an idea that um, won't work. They may have an idea that will partially work. Bill Hageman, uh, the managing partner in Witham, Smith & Brown that I interviewed you know, they responded to every suggestion that their employees had with either, hey, can you expand on that and tell us how that would work? Or we're gonna put this on the back burner and this is why, or let's talk about that further and see how we can move forward on this. They never ignored anybody. So what did that do? Well, people gave them ideas because they felt listened to and they knew that they were open uh, to new ideas. And the other two attributes, and, you know, all of these apply all the time, but during these challenging times right now, they apply tenfold. Uh, And one is lifelong learning. These C-suite leaders were all lifelong learners, not just about their work, but about their life. And they afforded their workforce in some way to do that as well, either through stipends for them to go out and learn new skills, or bringing people in to teach them new things. Sometimes, you know, anything from a new app to knitting, right, and everything in between. And then the fourth attribute, which is super important right now, is um, creating safe environments, both physically and emotionally. That ability for people to come up and say what they think is really important. Teaching people how to do that in a respectful way is really important. And um, like I said, on an emotional, we all want a safe environment physically. As people come back into the office, it's not going to look the same. Are people still going to have great big offices and everybody come in? I I don't think so. Many companies are realizing, wow, we can really do this remotely. Research shows us that good workers work just as well or better remotely. Other people aren't so good remotely. They need that structure of being in an office. So I think what we're going to see is a hybrid when people come back. Uh, But communication and more of it. With people being remote, we need more communication, more structured and focused communication, not just blah, 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 blah. And the uh, companies that are really thriving right now, some of that communication is not about business at all. So many companies are having game night or I was at a meeting the other day and everyone had to uh, play a song from the year they graduated high school, right? And then people get to know, oh, you like that kind of music? I like that kind of music too, you know, it connects people. It's all about connecting. And I have to tell you during these, the pandemic, I have made some of the greatest connections I have ever made with people I probably never would have connected with. Uh, So I I think it's a real possibility. Yeah. I want to go back to the basics, what
0: you mentioned in terms of those four pillars, because you can't be a good listener and not ask good questions, (laughs) right? And you can't be somebody who's kind of giving their thoughts and not be listening to the other side. So I feel like those two things really go hand in hand when you're, if you're a leader and you you want input, you need to ask for it. Then you also obviously need to be listening to it and acting on it. And then if you are the person that's giving the input, you know, you want to be also getting the signals back from your organization that they care and that they're hearing you. So I think that that was a really important message. And also, I do appreciate what you said about the structured communications, because I think that's the hallway conversation and seeing them, hey, what's going on? We're not going to have that as much as anymore. And people checking in on you to see, hey, how are you doing? How is your daughter? I know she wasn't feeling well. Is she feeling better? How are you doing at home? What stressors do you have? And let's face it, health is an issue too. You know, If you're not feeling well, you're not going to be going in the office anymore. People don't do that. We now have a new level set of expectations. If you're sick, you're staying home. Nobody wants to see you coughing and and, you know, it's it's a whole other thing. But the checking in authentically of how are you
1: doing is so, so important
0: for leaders now.
1: And I'll give you a perfect example. I have an African-American friend of mine. And uh, when George Floyd was killed, his leadership, never came to him and said, how are you doing? Never with everything that was going on with George Floyd and everything else. Uh, no one ever checked in with him as a human being, as a black American to find out how he was doing and if he needed any support. That to me is you know like walking around like this. How did that come up in conversation between the two of you? Uh, He was uh, just telling me about what a disconnect there was from leadership. And he's in leadership. Yeah, he's in leadership. But his CEO just never, ever, ever mentioned it. Like it wasn't happening. So uh, yeah, authenticity, being real, that would have been real to say, hey, how are you doing? There's a lot in 2020 a, for Yeah, people to as be as checking
0: as in as a, on. That's an understatement, right?
1: Yeah, because now if I have an appointment with somebody and they don't show up, my first thing is, do you have COVID? Does somebody in your family have COVID? I'm always checking in. Are you okay? Right. I realized you missed today. I'm sure there's a good reason, but are you okay? I want to make yep. sure. And yep. I say that in these challenging times, I, I'm a little overcautious, so I just want to make sure you're okay. Yeah. And I mean that, and people appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think that not having the opportunity for check-ins and making sure people have what they need. You know, when, when people first started to become remote, I would say, okay, you're not paying for parking for somebody. You better be making sure they have a long enough cord from their modem to their computer so they can do their work you know spend that 20 bucks you need to ask people what do you need to do the job we need you to do and
0: do you think that people are expecting to go back you said in this hybrid mode and do you think the choice is going to be led by the employee you think choice is going to be led
1: by the employer oh i think it's <laughs> it'll be led by the employer cuz they're paying the bills right And it also is what is their mindset. So obviously, if you're selling something in a restaurant, being remote doesn't work. So we'll just, you know, right, leave those out right away. But for a lot of service, organization, tech—I mean, my son's in tech. I know a lot of people in tech. They keep pushing their deadlines. I don't think tech's ever going to be the way it was before because they know they can do things remotely. And, you know, that I think, well, of course we'll see, but I think the idea of having a big campus and, you know, I, I, you know, people who own property are going to have people back, but people who are on leases, hmm? we'll wait and see, but I think that's. I think commercial real estate is going to take a big hit in the next
0: couple of years. That landscape is definitely training. One of the things you did not mention in your background was your certification in laughter. (laughs) And I wanted to bring that up because one, it's really very uh, unique to be a certified laughter leader. And so what prompted you to get that? But then also, how do you use that in your engagements with clients? Why is humor important to you and how do you bring that into the company culture
1: conversation? Sure. Actually, when I first started out, when I decided I was gonna be a professional speaker, not having any idea what that meant, um, I actually read an article in a newspaper about a woman who was teaching laughter sessions. I've always been a very optimistic up type of person And I thought, that sounds fun. And as it was that day, every person I wanted to talk to was there for me to talk to. And by the end of the day, I had signed up for this two and a half day workshop to be a certified laughter leader. I had no idea why, but I thought it might be fun if I, as a give back to the community. For many years, I, every quarter I had... Uh, laughter sessions at libraries all around the city, right? That was my give back to have people come in and do that. But then I started adapting those sessions for corporate. And my first job was for a sales reward meeting for a division of McDonald's. And basically I used the, like I said, the framework of a laughter session but I tied in exercises that were relatable to their company. And uh, it went really well. So I've done several of those as well. Uh, Humor in a workplace, in a respectful way, of course, means that people are comfortable, right? Um, And you want a certain level of comfort, like I said, in a respectful way in a company because that means people feel like they're family, right? They're not yeah. so rigid. That that's one way. Um and then uh, I actually went back and did more training and became a trainer so I could train other certified laughter leaders. But within that framework is something called good-hearted living and Wednesdays are for gratitude and gratitude is something I speak about All the time in all the work that I do. Um, Because it's a mindset that changes the perspective on everything else that you do. How
0: do you deploy that? How do you tell managers, teammates, how to leverage
1: that in a workplace culture? The easiest way, and anyone listening to this can do this themselves, is you. Well, it, in a company, I used to say, get a space and post-it notes, right? And have pens and have people write things they're grateful for and stick it up in this area, right? And not only did it benefit the person writing it, but it also benefited benefited the person walking by. And some of those people realized it didn't have to be, I had a baby. It could be, I had pizza, right? and then more and more people participate. But now with Teams and Slack, I mean, there's many different ways online that you can do the same thing. You could have a gratitude channel, right? Where people just post things that they're grateful for about their workmates. Um, and, And it grows, what happens is it grows. So that's one way you can do it. Another way when it was in office, was to have like a small whiteboard. And I would write, Lori, I so appreciated you helping me on the Brown program, whatever that was, right? And you had to keep it on your desk for a week before you passed it on. But again, that can all be done uh, virtually now as well.
0: I love the idea around gratitude, but you could tie that back in with any of the core values. Let's say your company has a core value around communications, great communications or customer service, you could create a Slack channel or a virtual whiteboard or something that gets people participating and demonstrating how they are living that value. But gratitude is a great place to start. But I I think we could tie it back into
1: any of the other values too, right? Absolutely. And Yeah, I wrote a book called A Little Bit of Gratitude Goes a Long Way, and it had 30 sections on different ways to be grateful and then an exercise for the individual reader to write about how they were going to be grateful about that section. And it was oddball types of uh, ideas that we don't normally take the time to think of, But I have found in my own life that, well, first of all, I wake up every day and I do a gratitude list. I'm alive is number one. I'm healthy. I'm in a bed. I have sheets. I have blankets. I have pillows. I have electricity. I have a car. It's got gas in it. I've got food in my refrigerator. I have indoor plumbing. You see where I'm going. I go through all of these and really recognize them just for split seconds. This all takes about 30 seconds before I get out of bed, but it really changes my perspective on the rest of the day. I was telling somebody the other day, uh, we're, we're talking in December of 2020 and I know there are so many people who are seriously struggling right now that it just makes me realize how grateful, appreciative, thankful, privileged I am on a daily basis so that when instances come into my life that aren't so exciting or happy because I'm human and that happens it gives me a different perspective on how to deal with that
0: yeah I like to go to bed ending my day with the thinking about it I think about what's something I was grateful for today and that's how right before I close my eyes that's what I do so I think that's a
1: really powerful tool Yeah, it makes a big, I do uh, a talk called the engagement trifecta, which is about what do you do in the morning, which few people do anything except race to work, wherever that is. What do you do at work? And then what people really ignore is what do you do at the end of your day? Because that is your setup for the next day. That's right. I love
0: that. So the trifecta gives people a framework of how to approach their days. So last thing I want to ask you, I, I do ask people if they have a favorite quote or a mantra about leadership or entrepreneurship, and I suspect that you have many, but if you had to pick one, Julianne, which one would you pick?
1: Oh, well, today I'm going to pick a quote by an incredible human being called Nito Cabane. And I actually, I, I took it down off my wall, so I would say it perfectly. And it says, don't mistake the difficult for the impossible. And I I just really like that because, you know, I don't really believe in failure. If we learn something from our experience, even if it didn't work out the way we thought it might, it doesn't mean it's a failure if we learn something to do differently the next time. Because learning is a bonus, right? Many people go through life and they don't see what they learn along the way at all. And they are doomed to repeat, whether it be in relationships or in work or any aspect of their life. Um, So for the people who actually take the wherewithal to notice what they've learned, I think that's a bonus and a plus.
0: Absolutely. And so, the very, very last thing before we go is I know you've written a book called The Catalyst of Culture. So, I thought you could talk a little bit about the book, why you wrote it, and how might people
1: find you and your book online? Sure. Catalysts of Culture is a book about the four attributes. I interviewed uh, 63 C-suite leaders from big companies, little companies, new companies, very old companies, small companies, and large companies, very diverse. And I found they all had four attributes in common, which we talked about the four pillars. And Then I took 14 of my conversations, which was really hard to pick, and put them into Catalysts of Culture. So that's what that book is about. Uh, Any of the ideas in there, anybody can use or modify to fit, you know, their particular workplace. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, My name is Julie Ann Sullivan. And lo and behold, my website is called Julianne Sullivan.com. You can find me on LinkedIn, reach out. I'm happy to have a chat with with anyone about any place they seem stuck, have a question, want to know something I know. Happy to share. That's wonderful. And as we head into 2021,
0: and for people listening to this episode, I know there's much to look forward to, much hope, having gratitude for what's to come. And we all wish each other better, better days. Julianne, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about being a catalyst of culture. My pleasure, Lori. Thank you. Innovation, transition, growth, easy to say, but hard to do. If you're an entrepreneur facing these challenges, I get it. I work with businesses from small to big to achieve your vision. Visit smalldotbig.com to learn more. I'd love to connect with you. Subscribe to Succession Stories, and if you enjoy the show, please share a rating and review. Thanks for listening.